You know what? While you have compelling reasons, I simply can't accept Emma Frost as a hero. She's just always going to be a villain, and that is that. Hey, she is a fellow teacher who cares about her students. She's done great work as a hero with the X-Men. Yeah, well, she killed Firestar's pony and also attempted to lobotomize Storm. Not to mention being a member of the Hellfire Club. She is a fascinatingly complex individual who has endured and thrived in terrible circumstances. Who wants to be perfect anyway? Nope. Sorry, Christy. Not gonna convince me. Emma Frost is evil. Well, I thought you might still think that, so I brought backup. Oh, yeah? I'm ready. Who'd you br- Oh. Oh, no. Hi, Christy. Hi, Chris. I heard we needed to discuss Emma Frost. Hi, Leah. Chris, Leah is going to be joining us on the podcast today. Um, yeah, I- I didn't, um, mean all that. Uh, let's- let's, uh- Talk about comics! Yes! I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earths. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. All right. Welcome, readers. We have a special treat for you guys. We are taking a break from the Phalanx Covenant to have a fantastic interview with a very special guest. We have Marvel writer Leah Williams with us today. Leah, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. As all of you know, or maybe don't know, since as I always reference, your your sister reads this or listens to this. Yes. So <laughs> Leah, my my sister is someone who a couple months ago, she's been listening to our podcast like since we started, just because she's like a really big supporter of mine. She does not read comics. And she asked me a couple of months ago, so you guys cover a lot of like old comics. Are there still comics like coming out like now? Oh, like, wow. So <laughs> we have we have a wide range. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, no offense if she's going to hear this. I, I don't want to. Oh, no, her... no, 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 no. Uh, we we actually kind of thought of it as like a this is this is like something kind of wild about like comics in general that people don't know that they sometimes exist. Right. Oh, yeah. If you're not into comics and actively going into a place that sells them they're not like you're not just going to stumble across them a lot of yeah places. exactly it's it's kind of a closed loop because it's for whatever reason is still considered to be like a niche passion so to get your comics you have to go to the comic book store or order them online you know you have to go to a comic specific retailer and you can't just pick it up at, you know, a newsstand the way that you would other magazines and periodicals like that. Which I feel is really unfortunate. It used to be different. Right. I, I, I would agree. Yeah. To me, it seems like the inaccessibility of comics is a huge part of what's throttling the industry. And there's a whole bunch of factors that go into it. I was learning about it recently, actually, and it's way more complicated than I ever knew. So how did you first get introduced to comics? Because as our readers know that I first got introduced when I married a man that loved comics and was like, (laughs) I think this is a thing you might like. And I was like, hey, yeah, nobody's ever, you know, put this in front of me before. I've never, I never stumbled across it, Mm -hmm. never. So that was my introduction to comics. What about you? Uh, Mine was pretty similar, actually. And that's another thing that's kind of unique to comics is there is a 
gatekeeper aspect to it. It's not like music or movies where you can just jump right in and find something you like. It's, it's something that you have to be brought into and introduced to. So for me, my first proper introduction to comics was, uh, I grew up in Mississippi and we didn't have a comic book shop, but we did have these Archie and Jughead digests at the grocery store and the checkout line, um, at James's food center in Oxford, Mississippi. And that, that's my first real, um, introduction to comics. And I would beg my parents to get me those. And it wasn't until I was in college actually. And I became friends with this girl named Sandy Platykosik. She was super into comics and I had no idea. I thought superhero comics were for boys. I thought it was something that only boys read. And she was like, oh, no, 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 here. And she started me on Watchmen. (laughs) 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 But, I mean, which is a bold move. But to her credit, I read that and it blew my mind. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, you, I, I had no idea that comics could be like this. Nobody ever told me. From there, it just never stopped. It was it was a dawning obsession. Whereas I tried to start you on Watchmen. You did. That was one like, of the very first. This is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, part of it it was it's a real learning curve if you've never sat and read a comic book to just get your mind to work that way as you're you're reading. I was you know somebody who as a kid devoured novels like the young adult mm-hmm. section of my library like everything was read and so just incorporating images into that and reading sometimes in a non-linear fashion was oh yeah just baffling to my brain right i also in general like leah you were you were very clearly an exception but in general i feel like watchmen is like a is like a you've read three or four comics before you read watchmen <laughs> i yeah i mean i've read a lot of arguments online since then uh, that it's kind of an ongoing joke like you don't start people with Watchmen but Sandy like she knew me really well oh sure and she that was her most effective argument for me to realize everything I knew about comics was wrong (laughs) and it was totally the right choice in that context but I, I totally agree that uh comics have a different kind of literacy to them something unique to comics and to people just coming into it, it would be really difficult for something as kinetic and nuanced as, as Watchmen to get into. Yes, definitely. That's definitely me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love for you to try to go back for it, Christy. But as you know, the, our copy of Watchmen was uh, unfortunately destroyed in a strawberry lemonade accident. <laughs> Oh no. We were going to a party and we had a bunch we had a, an entire like jug of strawberry lemonade Fresh squeezed, that like, we made. Oh no. That makes it worse. And also Watchmen <laughs> and it spilled all over it. Uh-oh. Well, Christy, you actually the first comic that you took to was an X-Men comic. Uh well, Wasn't you it? May, you may Do you remember our honeymoon? I do. We stopped. I, it'd, be, I'd be such a dirtbag if I said nope. I forgot. <laughs> so prior, I'm I'm le- my memory is often terrible, but I believe we stopped at a comic book shop on our road trip. Oh, you're right, and uh, you read the DC comic Justice. Yes, because we went in there, and I just started looking through everything, and that was the art to me that I was just like, oh, this 
isn't just about like goofy little superhero stories. This is like a beautiful art form and that like I I loved the art from that. And I probably couldn't tell you really much about the story at all now at this point, but I was that was my oh, this is this is a lot more than just reading a book. Mm-hmm. Right. But your first X-Men. My first X-Men. Th- I had a wonderful segue. Yes. <laughs> you did. You did. Your first, my first X-Men. Was uh, was Astonishing X-Men. And mm-hmm. you really took to Emma Frost. Nice. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So, Leah, this was, I think, when first Chris first started talking to me about you, because I'm terrible at, at Twitter. I get on there as much as I can, but, like, I have my school Twitter and you know, all sorts of different things I try to keep up with. But he was like, you'd really like her. She likes Emma Frost. <laughs> to me, I I teach I teach theater. I teach middle school theater. And so to me, my love of Emma Frost all just has to do with her complexity of character. Because to me, the most boring characters are those flat characters. They, I've, I've never played anything remotely like an ingenue, just the sweet, you know, kind, mm-hmm. virtuous. I like that complexity i like the i like the 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 darkness balanced with this sense of you know the sense of good all the complexity to her was just really awesome to me so talk to us about your love of emma frost where that comes from for you well i'll totally agree on the complexity and the more opportunities i have to kind of talk like this about emma frost and explain what it is i love about her the more I find common ground in the fact that it's it's the fact that she is a really complex character who isn't just a white hat. She uh, mm-hmm. has had dark times and she's made uh, decisions that, you know, she later expresses regret about or things that just complicate her morality. Um, I find that fascinating. I, I find it gives her a lot of depth that wouldn't otherwise be there. And Mm -hmm. I also think with characters like Emma Frost in particular, who was invented to be hot and, you know, invented to not really with like the long-term vision of having people care about her (laughs) the way that we do now, but the way that she changed hands over time and was given to different writers and she took on new aspects and new tragedy because that's always the you know back in the day that was kind of the shortcut of how you got audiences to care about a female character like you you give them this really tragic backstory and over time when you keep adding to that it creates this alchemy really this this perfect storm of a character who now nobody can agree on even my editor, Jordan D. White, like as recent as yesterday, he was responding to somebody else in who had tagged him into like my Twitter mentions talking about Emma. And he was just like, oh, yeah, I don't think she's a good person. And without even knowing, I was like, OK, another Emma hater. Let me mute this person. And then I was like, oh, crap, it's Jordan. <laughs> it's my boss. <laughs> so like he, even he and I. I can tell we don't we don't agree about Emma Frost because I'm over here like I would die for her. I would go to <laughs> battle for Emma Frost and he's like she's cold. 
And I'm like, yeah, and I love that about her. <laughs> right, right. Having flaws doesn't make you unlikable. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, as to the coldness about her, that's something that she learned over time. It comes from she had a really turbulent family life. And instead of accepting wealth from her father, she set out on her own and it was really difficult for her. So she she learned that coldness as a way of self-preservation. She has a guarded heart and only the deserving get in. So you talked about characters getting, you know, as they get passed around from creator to creator. As a creator, is it terrifying or exciting to have kind of the fate of the characters in your hands, just being able to shape shape them in your, in I guess, in your image of them? It is both. Those are actually the exact words that I've been using to describe this experience, because this will be my first full issue with Marvel, the stuff coming out on Halloween, the what if magic one shot and the X-Men black Emma Frost one shot. So the what if is a what if it's a self-contained thing, but the X-Men black Emma Frost one shot, I keep saying that I can't believe they're letting me manhandle the canon this way (laughs) because it's something that I would have only thought possible in my wildest dreams and the fact that I'm actually being permitted to write her this way and it's a love letter to her (laughs) it is um it's still it blows my mind it's wildly exciting but also terrifying because as someone who does have a really like open and deep abiding affection for Emma Frost. The idea of letting people down who feel the same way about her, I live in fear of that. So I, I'm just going to stay this way until it comes out and I know how people feel about it. I feel like that must be so ang- like anxiety driving, it, making something so far in advance and then just kind of sitting and waiting for it. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm lucky that I have other projects to focus on in the meantime and to just kind of throw myself at so I don't give in to anxiety about punching above my weight class. (laughs) But it's, yeah. (laughs) So we did a terrible job at the beginning. We should have asked you first to talk about some of the stuff that you've done or the things that you have coming out just as a little bit better intro because you brought them up in that oh. last answer and I'm just like oh well whoops fell fat on our faces there no it's totally okay I'm I'm always eager to get straight into like the really in-depth analysis <laughs> of Emma Frost too it's totally fine it, it didn't even occur to me to bring that up until I, I was trying to give a context for these things for what I was saying about Emma Frost <laughs> so fun one if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Christy with the fun ones. I, I ask all my students this at the beginning <laughs> of the year. It tells you a lot about a kid. Every once in a while, you'll get a rash of the kids that just want to be invisible. And I'm like, okay, I see you. I know. I know. I, yeah, that's always my, I was literally about to say that. Like, <laughs> way to call me out. Um, no, I would totally be invisible. I as a woman, uh, just the idea of being able to not have a physical presence anymore. (laughs) 
is is super appealing to me and also if i was invisible there's all sorts of like cool crime you can do with that <laughs> no just kidding <laughs> surprisingly my students say that a lot too <laughs> okay okay <laughs> all right no, they admit to the teacher what they would do <laughs> Okay, so we cover crossovers. So do you have a particular favorite crossover? Any, you know, sky's the limit with where you would where you would want to take this, I guess. Hmm. I was going to ask if it was just specific to X-Men comics or if it was like Marvel-wide. We but... cover DC and Marvel crossovers. And uh, you know what? what? Whatever crossover. You want to say like that Muppet holiday special from the 80s that you can't find anymore <laughs> because of the weird rights? Hey, that's a crossover. Well, I was I, I think no matter what, my answer would still land within X-Men crossover events. I guess House of M. I, in solely in terms of like the consequences that came out of that, which you know, like we're still seeing the effects of in comics today. I, I think that had the biggest impact for me. Yeah. House of, House of M. That was a real, I, I read it like years after it happened. I think for the first time, I, my first crossover was Secret Invasion, which I absolutely loved at the time. And in retrospect, I'm like, oh, it's it fine. But <laughs> I'd read House of M after and I feel like, it, yeah, it was a real gut punch. Yeah. I cannot imagine reading it like as it came out. That must have been must have been devastating. Yeah, real real punch to the to the heart and you know, it was orchestrated in large part from Brian Michael Bendis who has this incredible aerial view of how to hurt people <laughs> with your favorite characters and he he's really always had that uh it's it's something he's honed over time as he gets to know these properties better and better and he has a deeper understanding of their audiences. So I think that is something that we can credit to Brian Michael Bendis. Well, Leah, we're going to get into a bit of a bit of a, a, a deep philosophical comic question. <laughs> so event crossovers are are pretty controversial, I'd say. So we cover them, but a lot of people really don't like them. And a lot of people like absolutely love them. Like I'm such a sucker for them because to me it's like I, I I get like my inner six year old bashing all of my toys together sort of deal. Yeah, that's how I feel about it too. Do you think there's things about them that work and don't work almost inherently, or is it almost like a crossover to crossover sort of thing? That's a good question. I thought the question was just going to be like, "Do you like them or, or not?" <laughs> but that's lean close to the mic. Yes. Yes. Yes, I do. But that's a really interesting question. I think for me to answer that, honestly, I would have to go compare and contrast audience reactions to something like Civil War versus something like House of M. Because I, I know even without looking, I feel like I could tell you one is extremely more positive than the other. I, I've read fan letters about House of M that you know, speak of it in terms of they use really, really dark verbiage for, for what they think about this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and and I, I can't say that I, you know, I don't sympathize with the way that they feel about seeing so many characters that they had a growing fondness for just be 
wiped out, but it kind of was, you know, the world's largest and messiest retcon and yeah. it, it leveled the playing field so that stuff could be built on top of it. So I say that like as a writer, but understanding like House of M walked so I could run. <laughs> and I, I think maybe in terms of what does and, and doesn't work with events, I would use House of M as the example to be like, okay, well, here's the way fan reaction is is going to be at first when you do something this large scale, when you make changes that are this enormous. Mm-hmm. People will, they will react very strongly to such a huge change in the world that they're familiar with and they love. And that's something to anticipate. But I also think that, you know, in the same breath, when you look at something like Civil War or gosh, brightest day and blackest night, like something at that level with that much crescendo. Hmm. It has such a build to it. That is the pinnacle of what crossover events could be to me. Okay. That was such a good answer. That was very well thought out for me, kind of freaking it on you. (laughs) (laughs) A nice addition to the to the yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I like them. (laughs) Oh man. Now I'm trying to think of a podcast where everything's yes or no answers. It'd be <laughs> that sounds like the answers that students like to give on tests. Like this is an essay question. We need a little <laughs> bit more, a <laughs> little bit more than the yes or no. Okay, so dream crossover event. Any specific group of characters or any characters at all that if you could jam them all together in one story. What would be the dream lineup? Or, for or you? can you tell us that? Or is that like a pitch that you've got like in your back pocket? Well, I'm going to say something ridiculous. So it's not. Pitchable. Oh, no, it's going to be. Yes. Good. Wonderful. <laughs> Please. So I, I love the Red Lanterns at DC, like Atrocitus. Dex Star. Yes. Love. <laughs> I, I disagree with my editor, Jordan, about Dex Star <laughs> the other day, too. Does he not like Dex Star? No, he doesn't. He said that <laughs> I, I wish I could like pull up the receipts and tell you right now because like Dexter's origin story makes me weep. It it is genuinely upsetting to me and I I like cry myself raw over it. And then I mentioned, you know, my two comic book boyfriends are Namor and Atrocitus. Jordan was like, (laughs) okay, so you like guys that vomit blood? And I'm like, yeah, and have pet kitties. (laughs) And then he just kind of casually mentioned, like, yeah, that didn't, that backstory didn't sell for me. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding? Jordan, I have this Twitter moment draft saved in, in my unpublished moments. And the title of it is Jordan, we need to talk about this. And so far, it's the tweet where he's like, Emma is a villain. And yeah, I didn't care for the Dexter origin story. Oh, no, <laughs> I feel like I cried real tears with the Dexter origin story. I, yeah, I totally did too. I, I think that's fair. I also like, I feel like Dexter. <laughs> Hi, welcome to our Dexter podcast. <laughs> he had such an interesting build and in that he just shows up. And it's like, this is a cat who's a Red Lantern. But is he an alien cat? Who knows at first? Well, yeah, I I joke about like, one of my favorite things being when a character is invented as a joke and then later given a devastating backstory. And 
when I say that, I'm usually thinking of Emma Frost or <laughs> Dexter. Like their their origin stories, what they come from, hurts me. It hurts me physically. I I just yeah, it's unreal. Okay, so who else is in the crossover? <laughs> so the crossover event, anyway, it would be. I, I would have to think really hard about who, but I would love to pull my favorite X-Men and make them leaders of Red Lanterns, Blue Lanterns. Uh, you should see Chris's face right now. That's He's such loving. a cool idea. <laughs> right? I, and I can talk about it because that's never going to happen. But it's <sighs> sure is cool to think about. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Red Lantern Wolverine to me would be kind of great. Although it would have to be like Wolverine from the 80s. I feel like he's not quite as angry anymore. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, he's he's kind of softened in his old age. He's got a million adopted daughters. Bless him. <laughs> he just keeps collecting daughters. It's great. I love it. I, I think, okay, so Blue Lanterns would be Beast for obvious reasons. Not, not just the, the obvious reason, but... Um, <laughs> Like I, I, that's him. Wisdom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's 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 an interesting exercise, but that's what I would do. Oh man, it's that's so it's so much fanish. I love it. That, <laughs> that honestly sounds like something where I feel like I could try to search out some fan fiction and find something that you secretly wrote that is <laughs> <laughs> lanterns crossed with X Red characters. <laughs> I I do have some some very extremely niche crossover fan fiction out there but i i definitely uh pulled all of my marvel fan fiction <laughs> because now i'm like well maybe i can use this <laughs> these are all ideas now yeah so it, uh, readers who don't know leo wrote uh, wrote and writes quite a bit of fan fiction yes you're, you're kind of like a like one like a, a huge proponent of it i am and i feel like I went through like the boy phase of when I was very young, I wrote some, which I, Chrissy, I don't even know if you know that I wrote some fan fiction that might, it might still be. I think it might be a thing I've chosen to forget. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. Uh, It was very self insert though. It was like, this is Chris. He is in Half-Life world because I was very into Half-Life at the time. (laughs) But then I kind of thought like, I kind of went into like the uh, fan fiction and now I'm like, really back into the the fact that oh wait all comic books are fan fiction they are how silly was i to ever think that they weren't and it's i feel like i'm not sure why like fan art's great but i'm not sure why fan art is like the end all be all but fan fiction is is somewhat scoffed at by like a lot of people including probably people who are in charge of 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 like hiring (laughs) For, for things like that. Yeah. And that's, that's what I really don't understand either. And, and why I roll super hard for fan fiction, because I consider what we do writing for Marvel or any, you know, pre-existing property like this to be a kind of fan fiction. At least it should be if you're any good at it. Mm-hmm. And I got my start writing fan fiction. That's the arena where I gained confidence as a writer because it was anonymous and I was getting comments about my writing that had constructive criticism and other comments that were like, you're like the Federico Fellini of fan fiction. And if I like, 
my base level is thinking really lowly of myself and I don't know why I am that way, but I am. So if I didn't have that kind of consistent, positive feedback writing fan fiction, I never would have had the confidence to actually pursue writing as a professional career. And I owe everything good in my writing life to fan fiction and to Tumblr. So the writing process with comic crossovers, having to work with other creators on different titles, what is, how is that different than... Or what does that look like, I guess? Yeah, even though we're we're both into comics, and I've been into comics for a long time, I feel like I know almost nothing about the process. And anytime we get comic book writers to talk to us, <laughs> I always want to just ask them more stuff about the process. <laughs> oh, sure. From my experiences, it, it may be different for other people, but from my experience, um, it's all maestroed by the editor. Mm. And it really is an incredible process to watch because a lot of times they'll bring you on board without being able to fully reveal details about the event. So you sign on to this project based on a few keywords that they've given you about it and you start getting hyped about it when it's still shrouded in mystery. And by the time they're like, okay, so here's what's happening after you agree to it. You're just like, ah, that's amazing. (laughs) And it, even as they bring different creators in too, um, it, it, it all is routed through the editor who is setting all of these different pieces in motion and, to me, that's the most incredible part about it. Like I have talked about this with the Domino annual, my editor on that, Chris Robinson, he basically did a huge crossover event in one annual. So he orchestrated all of that himself, the different stories, the different artists, the interstitial pages, which are pages that go in between the standalone short stories to kind of link them together into one cohesive narrative. Like Mm -hmm. what he did with this annual is pack a big crossover event into one single issue. And I'm very proud of him for that. Now, yeah, Domino annual. I haven't been reading a ton of Domino as of yet, but the annuals really, really caught my eye for that reason. It has it has some of some of my faves on it. Yeah, yourself included. Well, thank you, Christy. I don't know if you knew that our one of our faves, Dennis Hopeless, is also writing on that one as well. Oh, yep, Dennis Hopeless is a big reason I read comics. He's great, yep. and I love the way he writes Emma Frost. I don't think I. I'm trying to think if I've read anything of his where he wrote Emma Frost. It, it was in the Jean Grey. <gasps> That's right. That's right, and it was so good. <laughs> he he just Emma it is hard to write well. I I know this firsthand and he just nailed it. It, it was so good. Well, we can't we cannot wait to check out the Domino annual. We'll we'll definitely pick that up. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I highly recommend it. His story <laughs> and it is there's no Emma, but it's <laughs> it's Domino and it's it's fantastic. All the stories in it are so unique to the writers handling them. Um And it gives us kind of a multifaceted view of Domino as a character. And I I can brag about the Domino annual knowing that what I'm saying about how extraordinary it is has very little to do with me and has everything to do 
it has everything to do with the way Chris Robinson set it up and pulled it together. I, I would be too self-conscious to say these things about, you know, something that was all writing on me. <laughs> but even without me in it, I, I can say these things. Well, I feel like with you in it, it's probably it's probably pretty fantastic. That's that's the hope. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, would we like to turn to Twitter questions? Leah, you are the first uh, person we've ever asked Twitter questions for. We um we usually we have guests. We're usually talking just... about a crossover, <laughs> right? Um, we figured people would have lots of questions since you have a lot of stuff coming up, and probably some stuff you probably can't talk about, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. So I want to start with a fun question from Xavier Files. Shout out to friend of the show, Xavier Files. Yes. So out of these three, you can only pick two. Selfies, X-Men jokes, or philosophy about the millennial existence. Which two? Um, I, I feel like, okay, so obviously X-Men jokes and philosophy about millennial existence, but... I earlier when I was showering, because I saw this question coming out on Twitter, and I was like, come on, Zach, you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> and, and earlier when I was in the shower, I started like rehearsing this really impassioned statement about why selfies are okay, <laughs> why they're like, you know, a condition of the millennial experience and all of these other things. So I, I think that we're going to we're going to throw selfies in. And in, into what I'm keeping on account of a technicality, because I can argue, very much so argue, in favor of selfies, you know, being part of the philosophical nature of millennial. All right. Fair. <laughs> that, was a, that was a pretty great answer. <laughs> we have a ton of questions from role-playing accounts, but I think we'll do those last. <laughs> <laughs> one of them who i thought only asked questions on war rocket ajax that's that's uh -huh. chris sims's podcast yeah. but they got in on ours which makes me wonder who it really is but um we have this question from wheelchair x at one wheelchair x on twitter since it's common knowledge that you're a big fan of emma what in your eyes makes her one of your favorite characters in comics something you kind of went through a little bit i think the most succinct way of expressing why she's why I'm, you know, ride or die for Emma Frost is she has what I call a brutal heart. She is radically compassionate and it comes from caring very deeply about her students and having survivor's guilt and just caring radically so about the welfare of younger people because she doesn't want anyone to go through the same sort of tragic upbringing that she faced. Um, so I think that her, her brutal heart and her ability to survive is uh, my favorite aspect of Emma Frost. Another very serious question here from Multiversal Q. Should we stop playing the song Breakfast at Tiffany's on the radio? I'm going to say no. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to also say no. <laughs> Luke, get out of here with that sort of nonsense. I love singing along to it. It's it's universally yeah, beloved. Yeah, everybody loves that song. Right. Sh shout out to friend of the show, Luke Hare. Luke Hare. <laughs> also, dark shout out. What do you have against Breakfast Tiffany's? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is from Jaundice Cena at Zifu. Would you rather have fingers for hair or hair for fingers? Um... Wait, okay, I have to think about this. Fingers for hair 
or uh, I'm going to say fingers for hair. Like, I, I know it's going to look gross, but I'd appreciate the extra, I guess, am- ambidextrousness. Yeah. I always say, like, if I had five more hands, gosh, everything would be so much easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The visuals on that. Very strange. Kind of Medusa-y, but lots of fingers. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm thinking of Medusa, but <laughs> instead, like, it's, it's just going to be... I've tiny t-rex hands it's just gonna be like some stubby looking little kid fingers it's fine i'm so sorry oh boy all right um so we have a a few questions from let's talk cyclops at let's talk cyclops what do you think about emma frost becoming phoenix like permanently like i guess the question being would you like emma frost to be a permanent phoenix host to me i she does make a beautiful phoenix um and i loved that we got to see her like that recently in the comics um but to me that's a terrifying concept for emma in particular because she's so ruthless in her convictions that she's very self-sacrificing at times she does not put her own needs first and you know that's why jean gray she always had more of a level head about this and of course ended up self-sacrificing anyway too but she at least held on for a while and poor emma i feel like would would not make it very far hosting the phoenix because it it would try and get her on a destructive bent and she'd be like well i'm gonna throw myself in the flames of mordor instead of hurting a child like Mm. it it would it would be quick (laughs) and yeah, that's what scares me about that. All right, we have one from Alexandria Catherine Smith at Alexis Speaks 2 on Twitter. Who wins between Jean and Psylocke, and when are you writing a lesbian couple ongoing for Marvel? Huh. Okay, well, Jean would win, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's... <laughs> I, I mean, I love I love Psylocke. I love both Betsy Braddock and Quanon as separate entities. I think they're amazing. And I love thinking about telepaths but Jean Grey is an atom bomb compared to the rest of them like Emma and Jean Grey are my two favorite female telepaths to think about and Emma Frost is a scalpel Jean Grey is a nuclear bomb in in comparison the way that their powers work if if you want something precise you go Emma if you want something big and destructive and powerful you go Jean Grey Yes. And what was the other part of the question? What? Oh, um, <laughs> I don't know. As soon as they ask me to, I guess I, <laughs> I'm still at that stage where, you know, every time they like my editors mention a character to me, I'm like, yes, please, please, totally, I would love to. So I, they've got stuff planned out really far in advance, and it's all super, super exciting. So I, I can't answer <laughs> anything like that right when are you going to be doing a secret thing yeah yeah <laughs> so i think we'll get real quick into these silly role-playing accounts uh when we can give like real quick answers okay j jonah jameson asked at jjj bugle news and i'm going to do it in a silly voice what would be the best angle and filter to get pictures of spider-man it would be a gopro on a drone 
Perfect. <laughs> so we also have uh, the ghost team of Warlock at Best Teen Warlock. Would designate Leah be self-friends with self? Yes, of course. And then we have Forge on Vacation at Q's and Tan Sirs, who I believe asked you a question on a podcast that came out a few days ago. Yes. So a few days ago on a different podcast, somebody asked me what character I would kill. And I racked my brain thinking of somebody I could say that wouldn't offend <laughs> or hurt anybody's feelings. And I said, spiral. <laughs> well, this, <laughs> this individual Forge says, hey, thanks for your Forge support for me, Forge. Why do you hate my good friend Spiral and want her to die? She used to be a stunt woman. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so <laughs> I don't hate Spiral. I, I just couldn't think yeah, of anybody. Yeah, you were agonizing over that. I, I listened. I, I listened to Multiversal Q. Luke and I are are, are friends, <laughs> and um, I was like, oh man, you can tell like Leah's dying over this one. Yeah, I. It's just not the way that I operate in fandom circles. Like I'm, you can tell me why you love a character, but if you tell me why you hate a character i'm gonna be like mute <laughs> no i don't want to hear that <laughs> beautiful attitude <laughs> yeah i i just like I'm, I'm a weenie i don't i i and it's the x-men everybody has their favorites <laughs> right. so, the most uh like everybody yeah i had a tweet go viral and it was give me your bad x-men opinions or your terrible x-men opinions and they all just crossed over like they all completely canceled each other out and i was like oh cool there's <gasps> yeah. there's none of them they're all equally. I remember that tweet. I think I I answered that. Do you remember the answer that I had for that? I don't. Oh my gosh. So I was at work and I, I don't, this is, I, I, I do not have very many followers on Twitter and I mostly just interact with the same group of people. And so, well, I credit that my answer to that tweet being what might've gotten me the Emma Frost gig. <gasps> what? Yeah. Let me see if I can. I did it. <laughs> find that no that was basically like chris's online heroes quote tweet a tweet he made but don't know how much that he loves them <laughs> like a lot of writers like for cut for comics alliance and stuff were quote tweeting it and i'm like <gasps> oh i think it may have been a different one because this isn't your username but yeah i it was another one of those unpopular opinion x-men edition things mm -hmm. and i quote tweeted it and said emma frost is a very complex character who deserves to be elevated with the same nuance and humanization afforded to magneto yes oh, beautiful tweet beautiful tweet <laughs> also i feel like for for most people i know probably not a terribly unpopular one but i think in, in at the community at large may be true yeah. But again, I, like, they all cry. They like, people were like, Cyclops is the worst. Cyclops is the best. Wolverine's the worst. Wolverine's the best. Oh, blah, yeah. Blah. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, everybody just has very different opinions. Oh, yeah. It's, it's amazing. I, mm -hmm. I think that's part of what makes X Men comics in particular so beautiful because it houses all of these disparate opinions at once. <laughs> well, Leah, I think that was our last. Twitter question we're gonna we're gonna shout out um, but we wanted to thank you so much for being on the podcast you're fabulous to talk to oh I you guys are thanks so much for having me you guys are hilarious and this was a total joy <laughs> do you want to shout anything else out that you want people to look for, or just give us one little shout out of what we can look forward to coming up from you I have 
lots of stuff coming out in the fall, the Domino Annual, uh, which you can still pre-order. It comes out in September. And I have two comics coming out on Halloween, X-Men Black, Emma Frost, and the What If Magic one-shot, and both uh, are still available for pre-order now. To everybody reading this who wants to read some very good Leah Williams X-Men, check out the X-Men Gold Annual, which I it's probably tough to get in floppies now, but it, it was pretty easy to, to grab digitally. And it was such a delight, especially if you love Excalibur. I know we didn't get to get into Excalibur much, but it was excellent, and I loved it. Oh, thank you. So much fun to write. So much fun to work on that. <laughs> I love any comic that has babies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I tried. I... I want to see more of Maggie too. So anytime I see an opening for like a hyper sentient baby, I'm like, hey, Jordan, <laughs> you know, who'd be great here. <laughs> All right. So readers, as always, you can find the podcast at Chris's pod on Twitter uh, and on Facebook. You can email us at Chris's on infinite earth at gmail.com. Please rate and review on iTunes. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, and we really appreciate everybody jumping on board after our our parental leave when we t- took care of our new baby. Yeah, this has been like a great return. I feel like we need to take breaks regularly. <laughs> yeah, we we've uh we've one episode currently out since we came back. Two, technically. If we include our zero. Oh, true, true. Two mm-hmm. episodes out and they got an astonishing amount of engagement. And we really appreciate everybody for yeah. We made it. That. We made it to Australia, guys. Six, yeah, six, five continents. We, five continents. We, we got everything but Africa and Antarctica. Yes. So thank you, down under. <laughs> Christy loves those country analytics. Well, um, next time on the show, uh, we will be discussing life signs, the very final part of Phalanx Covenant. We're saving the the best for last. <laughs> And uh, we hope you join us with that. And Leah, we thanked you, but we'd love to thank you again. Thank you for coming on the show. We absolutely appreciate it. Everybody, check out Leah's comics in the fall. They're going to be fantastic. Oh, thank you guys so much. And until next time. Slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours. 